somebody who is a master at finding a way to smile even through very tough times is my friend Dr. Jeffrey Gurian. He is a legendary comic, a comedy writer, a host, an author, a producer, and the doctor comes not from a PhD in comedy, but because he was a former dentist. And I am thrilled that he is uh, joining me in studio today. Jeffrey, it's great to see you again, my friend. Frank, it's always good to be with you. You have such a great energy and a wonderful show. Thank and you. It's well, always I, fun I, to be on. At, at the risk of sounding mm. patronizing, uh, your your energy is infectious, and so is your sense of uh, optimism. And I'm thrilled that you've uh, written this new book, and I want to talk to you about it. But, uh, you know, speaking about what I was just uh, talking about, you look at what's happening in terms of Ukraine, people dying, and uh, a lot of depressing things. How do you find um, how do you find in uh, doing humor, writing humor, performing humor, or even just joking around with friends and colleagues informally when there's so many depressing things going around? Should people feel guilty at all about making jokes or uh, you know laughing at jokes when there's so many tragic things happening? Well, it's a very interesting question. Laughter saves us, by the way. But I don't believe in making jokes about very serious things that are going on in the world. There are people dying, and people are not going to take it well when you do that. I know some comedians that are friends of mine that have gotten in trouble for, you know, too soon, people say, too soon, you know. And uh, I personally, I don't talk about things like that when I perform. I talk about things that I think are funny. It's a very thin line when, when something very disturbing is going on. There are some comedians that can tackle it. There are a few comedians that talk about very controversial things. If you know Andrew Schultz, if you know Mark Normand, they're, they're very talented writers and they're very clever and they can take a topic that some people could, be, could possibly be offended by and speak about it in a way where the people who would be offended are actually laughing and applauding. Mm-hmm. So it depends on the particular comedian. I think the best example of that uh, too soon issue was – Gilbert Gottfried, yeah, and, that's who I was thinking right, of. who got into some <laughs> trouble while he was the Aflac spokesman. And what what was the circumstance? What was the particular tragedy that he had made a joke about? You uh, know, I was with him that night, and he he actually allowed me to be the spokesperson for it. I was there with him that night when it happened, and he was so upset because he's not the kind of person that would hurt somebody's right. feelings. Not very nice guy. Yeah, and. Um, and for many years, he was my favorite comedian. So I know him a very long time. And to be honest with you, I don't remember the details of what he did. I just remember that that was the night he got fired. Yeah. And everybody was talking about it. And I was with him. And I, at the time, I think I was a regular on Sirius XM. And I said, is it OK? He goes, please go on and speak for me. You know what I think it was? It was at uh, a Friars roast um, because Shecky Green came on as my guest on the radio, and we were talking about I remember. It, it was a joke. I, I don't remember, Shecky Green actually. was going to quit up. the Friars Club because of something that, that Gilbert said. It was about the, uh, it was right after the Japanese, uh, the earthquake disaster in Japan. That's what it was. I think that had to do with, yeah, I think it was. And I just remember that some people were so upset. As I said, Shecky Green was threatening to quit the Friars Club if they didn't do wow. something about what Gilbert said. Do you think that Aflac was a little bit too quick to get rid of Gilbert Gottfried, who'd been the voice of that uh, the duck, right? Or yeah, the Aflac duck, yeah. You know, corporations mm-hmm. do that these days. 
they jump on things immediately. They're so afraid of losing business because in in our society right now, comedy is so difficult for certain comedians because there's a segment of the population that cannot wait to be offended by something. Oh, it's, it's so true. And They're honestly, sitting home right now hoping that we'll say something yeah, exactly. they could be offended by. But stay tuned. I'm sure we'll get to you. I'm <laughs> sure we'll offend you somehow over the course of the next four hours. And that's why I'm honestly so grateful to work for John Katsimatidis, who doesn't start uh, you know, losing sleep every time somebody threatens to uh, boycott uh, his radio station because yeah. of something controversial that one of us says or that there's somebody, uh, there's somebody on it. And uh, I think that's a spirit that's far too lacking in the uh, media client, the, the media climate and the media environment uh, today. We, I, th- I think he's wealthy enough to be independent. That's that right. Way. Thank you. He doesn't care. He doesn't. There are certain people that don't owe anybody anything. Mm. And I think, I mean, what he does is great. And he's packed the station with wonderful people who carry a great message. That, no, Every that, show is so great. I, I couldn't agree with you more, obviously. In, in terms of comedy, we've heard the complaint often now from uh, people like Dave Chappelle, uh, from people like Kevin Hart, from people like Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, that because of the the climate that you just described, where you have this, and it's magnified tremendously by the internet, where you have this uh, this whole chorus of critics that just waits to erupt in outrage over something, that it's very difficult to do comedy these days. Do you find that that's the case? Do you find that it's more difficult to do comedy because of that environment? Not for me. I've, I've actually left out a couple of things. I have a Chinese girlfriend, and her English was very bad. And she's given me a lot of material just by things that she said. Oh, I can imagine. Like one day she told me that she had to take a test. She worked in a, a hospital where all the patients, most of them are Chinese, so she's able to get by. And she said she had to take a test. And I said, what kind of test do you have to take in a hospital? And she said, mobile toys. Mobile toy. It took me an hour to figure out she was trying to say multiple choice. <laughs> so, and that's true. You know, and, and if we have a fight, she'd be, I, 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 I go to my loom. And, and I'm like, I didn't know you had a loom. <laughs> what are you, spinning straw into gold in there? <laughs> so, you know, but I say things like, you know, I would talk about things in a very positive way. The Chinese people are the smartest people in the world. They have to be. They figured out how to speak Chinese. <laughs> it's very, very hard to speak Chinese. So if I do something, I try to do it in a positive way because I love everyone and I don't want anyone to feel bad. So I don't really do jokes that would be considered controversial. There's a lot of people that do, though, and it's very hard for them to perform. Oh, I, I can imagine. I can certainly imagine. All right. Uh, tell me about this new book, Facing Adversary, Adversity, Stories of Courage and Inspiration. Your last couple of t- trips here, we've talked about some of the adversity that you faced, uh, specifically your battle with COVID. This was before it was a mild Omicron strain. This is when it was When it was COVID. serious. And, and COVID, you had, uh, yeah. COVID pneumonia. Double pneumonia. And, Single wasn't good enough for me. You were hospitalized and you mm-hmm. had a very tough time. And honestly, the sense of optimism that you kept throughout that whole uh, enterprise was very, very inspiring to me and many of our listeners. You've written a book, Facing Adversity. What's this book all about? You know, I've always been fascinated by people who overcome seemingly insurmountable obstacles. And in my own life, you know, I've had a few. I had, you know, this widow-maker heart attack and... I stuttered very badly. I've talked about that on your show before. I stuttered through my 20s and beyond into my 30s. That I would block on certain words. I couldn't get it out. 
That is a minor obstacle compared to the people that I wrote about. 20 years ago, I started collecting stories from newspapers and magazines, true stories of people that overcame unbelievable difficulties in their lives. As I said, I've just been fascinated by that because some people crumble from their obstacles and other people rise above them. And that is always has always fascinated me. So while I was recovering from COVID, I was in the house for months and I keep folders of these articles that I cut out. And I decided now is the time for me to write this book because people need inspiration and hope. People have been suffering for two years and a lot of people are engaging in self-pity. They feel sorry for themselves. They're in a very bad place emotionally. And I thought, I want to write a book that will give them inspiration by reading what other people have overcome. And there are stories in here. One of the stories that just blows me away, a little three-year-old boy put his hands in, in a machine and it cut off his hands. Mm. And his father happened to be a surgeon, but not that kind of surgeon that does reimplantations. And he hit... The fa- and the mother was a nurse. The father takes the little boy to the hospital, and it's a holiday, and there are no surgeons that can reattach his hands. So the father does it. He tries it for the first time. He operates for nine hours and reattaches the little boy's hands, but they're not functional. The grandfather is a martial artist, mm. and he trains this little boy every day to regain function in his hands, and that little boy grew up to be a famous spinal surgeon. Wow. He runs the spinal surgery department at a hospital in Colorado. And that's, <laughs> you talk about overcoming adversity. That's a textbook example. It's a textbook example. You, you also have a, a very interesting story in here from homeless to Harvard, uh, which sort of self-explanatory, but you chronicle someone that ended up in the Ivy League coming from very, very humble beginnings. What was, what was that story? That story brought tears to my eyes. And I'm not exaggerating. It was about a young girl. Both of her parents were heroin addicts. They both had AIDS. They both passed away eventually from AIDS. And her dad was living in a homeless shelter. Her mom passed away, and she became homeless at around 15 years old. But she was so smart that she got into a special school. And she won a scholarship uh, by writing an essay for the New York Times, about what she had to overcome in her life. It was a contest. And in this special school, she won a trip to Harvard. And when she saw the school, she said, I would love to go here, but I don't know how I'm going to afford it. So she wins this $12,000, and she was so smart that she graduated, uh, she graduated from this high school in two years out of four. And Harvard had never accepted anybody who didn't go to high school for four years. But when they met her... And she told them her story. They made special arrangements to take her on a full scholarship. Wow. My goodness. And she's a very successful woman today. There are so many great stories in here. Um, We're not going to go through all of them. I want to encourage people to get the book. It's called Facing Adversity. It's by Dr. Jeffrey Gurian. You write the book in a very interesting manner in that you, you chronicle it by year. And so you really have been working on this for over two decades. Over 20 years, yeah. I wasn't sure how to, how, you know, how to arrange the chapters, and I said the best way for me to do it is to, is to do it in the year that I found the story. And what was interesting was that I, I searched each story, I looked up the people to see what they were doing today, and I added that in. And most of the, many of them have become motivational speakers, like Nick, uh, Nick Vujicic was born without arms and legs. 
no arms, no legs. And I saw him recently on the Oprah show, and he's become a not only a worldwide motivational speaker, he's married to a beautiful woman, and he has four children. Wow. A woman saw him speaking at an event about his books, and she was drawn to him. And she said the fact that he had no limbs didn't matter to her. Mm. That is an amazing person to me, someone who can overlook something like that. And uh, Absolutely. And, and she married him, and he has four children. Meanwhile, the singles bars are filled with tall, handsome guys with all their limbs, uh, and they can't get a date. And, and uh, you know, it's amazing to me that you could find a woman that uh, doesn't make a prerequisite for marriage uh, immediately taking out the garbage as soon as it's filled to capacity. Exactly. And that's really, really something. <laughs> that's some, I, I think, that's I think my find. wife can learn a thing or two from, uh, from Nick's wife. Now, um, we, I hear all sorts of stories, both people who call me on the air and people who – email me uh, privately, detailing all sorts of very, very serious adversity. We have one listener who is trying to get a kidney transplant. She's uh, on dialysis. She's very sick. I have another, we have another listener, a friend of mine. She's in the hospital right now, some complications for some uh, cancer surgery. Other people have had uh, loved ones pass away, and they find themselves totally devoid of any sort of human companionship for the first time in their lives, mm. uh, many of them older and uh, really are in just incredibly lonely. Uh, another listener has uh, uh, described how uh, some siblings of hers have essentially um, built her out of uh, their mother's inheritance, and now she finds herself in very serious financial straits. And I, I really always wish that I could do more for these people and and I, unfortunately, the overwhelming amount of the time, there's nothing I can do. I'm wondering what advice, given your chronicling of all these stories, and you sort of being what I'll what I'll characterize as a happiness expert. What advice can you give to these people who are facing, um, in many cases, things that have that are in no way their own fault, seemingly insurmountable odds when it seems so bleak for them? What advice can you give them about how to maintain or to gain a more positive perspective and keep a more positive attitude? Advice is easy to give. You know, advice is just words and words sometimes can fail you. And when people are really facing terrible adversities like a life and death situation, it's very hard. I had to go to two funerals within the past couple of weeks of relatives of mine who died very unexpectedly. And um, as far as advice, you know, there's a spiritual outlook that every single thing that happens to you is your, is your path. This is what I had to tell myself when I was laying in the hospital with a heart attack and with COVID double pneumonia and with every uncomfortable thing that's happened to me. I don't even want to say bad thing because sometimes bad things turn out to be something good later on. You know, I've, uh, I've lost things that turn out to be something amazing. Um, but what I've had to, to tell myself is that you can't only believe in certain principles when everything is going perfectly in your life. It's when it feels like nothing is going right that spiritual principles come into play. And I had to tell myself that for whatever reason, this is my path. I had to have this heart attack. I didn't know how I was going to come out of it. But I had to have faith that whatever is supposed to happen will happen. And there's, it's out of my control. Mm. The things that happen to people are completely out of their control. Sometimes they cause them, which is 
a terrible feeling to know that you caused this problem for yourself. But a lot of times it comes out of nowhere. You have no idea what's going to happen to you when you wake up in the morning. And so if you have a strong spiritual belief, not religious, but spiritual, I make a distinction about that in all my books because religion can be wonderful for people, but it tends to divide us because it puts you in a category that other people may not be in. And spirituality brings us all together because all it asks is that you believe in a power greater than yourself, and you could call it whatever you want, nature, the universe, God, whatever is comfortable for you. I I feel comfortable saying God, and that's fine, Uh, but you just have to understand that whatever happens, whether you consider it good or bad, is part of your path, and that you can't predict what's going to happen tomorrow. Every person that you know in your life, besides your family, there was a day before you met them. You had no idea you were going to meet them. And then the next day you meet them, and they could be somebody very important in your life. So people have no idea. And what you have to tell yourself is that this can't last. It's not going to last. Good things don't last, and bad things don't last. Mm. So even if you're in the midst of something that you think is very bad right now, it's going to change, and if you stay with it, it'll get better. Uh, That, I think, is as good advice as I could hope for, and that a lot of our listeners could hope for. Last week, I had on the program Mark Malkoff. Uh, One of the things that I spoke to him about was this uh, YouTube series that he was doing uh, where he was trying to have dinner with Bill Murray. Oh, I did his show. uh, In looking at those, in research for that interview, I watched all these old YouTube interviews that he had done, and you were one of his guests. Now, what makes you an authority on, on Bill Murray? I had some very unusual circumstances with Bill Murray. We've... You know, um, it was really crazy. I met him many years ago. You know, I got my original start through the Saturday Night Live people when the show really first started through Alan Zweibel. And I used to go up to the show a lot. I was very friendly with Phil Hartman and John Lovitz and Kevin Nealon and those guys. Our uh, friend Joe Piscopo as uh, well. Well, Joe Piscopo yep. is a dear friend. I've done his show. Well, we, You know, we've spoken in recent years. My last book, I went on Joe's show to talk about it. Um so, and I know Joe before he started working out. That's how long right. I know Joe. I have pictures with him when he was thin, before he get, became so muscular. But uh, one night in my garage, I was having trouble with my car, and Bill Murray tried to fix it. He just walked into my garage. I can't, <laughs> you know, Bill Murray shows up in places where you never expect him to be. He got on the floor under my car to tr- see if he could fix it for me. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, it's, it's Bill Murray. You know, and I don't think he knew me at that point. We had met earlier, but I don't know that he actually remembered did, me. Did he, was he able to fix your car? No, uh, well. he was not. <laughs> but he tried. Okay. That's what counts. All he right. tried. And then, and then I was, you know, I, I I've also been a comedy journalist for a long time. I cover the comedy scene, and so I was covering a film that he did. I don't remember which one, but we took a bunch of pictures together and we hung out and. He's wonderful. He's just a very interesting character. But that was Mark Malkoff's. When you said it, I flashed back on it because I hadn't seen Mark in a while. Yeah. No, I, I'm a big fan of Mark's as, yeah, as well as very yours. unusual things. That's, that's yeah. as you know, uh, yeah. that, that is my style. And perhaps that explains my fondness for you. Uh, you, of course, and people will remember this, uh, you were responsible or you were the prime person for uh, behind the too much tuna phenomenon. Uh, explain what the deal was with Too Much Tuna. Yeah, that's a crazy... And Curtis is involved in that. Let me tell you Oh, that story. I did not know. This is a crazy story. So, years ago, 
before Nick Kroll and John Mulaney were really famous, they came over to me at a party. I don't remember what it was. I just remember that Chevy Chase was there. They came over to me and they said, could we take a picture with you? And I said, sure. And so they take a picture. And the next thing I know, it's on their Facebook page, uh, each of them. And Nick says to me, if I ever get a show, I want you to be on it. I said, great. A lot of people have said that to me, but nothing comes of it most of the time. Years later, I get a call one day. I'm at my desk working, and I get a call from L.A. Nick Kroll would like you to come out to L.A. and be on Kroll's show. He got his own show on Comedy Central, which was a a big hit show. So I fly out there, and uh, we don't know what I'm going to do. It's mostly improv, and I wind up being the very first person in show business to be pranked with too much tuna. (laughs) Nick Kroll and John Mulaney think it's very funny to give people a very huge tuna sandwich. It's about this tall. And and so um, they wound up doing a hit show on Broadway called Oh Hello, and they had me open the show for them. Now, in the show, they referenced Curtis Sliwa. Really? Yeah. They talked about New York and the whole thing, and his, they mentioned his name. They don't know that I'm dear friends with Curtis Lee for many years. Right. You were Curtis's dentist. I was Curtis's dentist. That's how long I know him. So, so they... They had me open the show for them. They made me a jacket. If I knew I was going to tell the story, I would have brought it to show you. You know how Curtis's jacket says Guardian right, Angels? Sure. They made me a jacket that says Gurian Angels. <laughs> and, they had, and they had two models wearing Gurian Angels t-shirts. And I opened the show for them on Broadway. I, and I, I was on the that. red carpet with them. So I brought Curtis to the show as a surprise. They didn't know. I brought Curtis Lewa and Fred Armisen was so excited to meet Curtis they told me afterwards that was his dream to meet Curtis Lee. That's very funny. So he wore his Guardian Angels jacket, and I wore my Gurian Angels jacket. They, they actually, I, I haven't watched the clip yet, but I'm told they actually mentioned the Guardian Angels on Saturday Night Live this past weekend as they were doing a, a segment about the rising uh, rising crime. I don't know if Curtis played the clip on his show on, uh, on Sunday, but uh, it was certainly very interesting that Saturday Night Live has always made the Guardian Angels such a f- focus. Jeffrey Gurian is my guest in studio for the hour. There are not many people that are experts in dentistry, comedy, Curtis, and overcoming adversity. So if you want to question uh, Jeffrey Gurian on any of those topics, you can give us a call, 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. He's the author of the new book, Facing Adversity. There's some terrific stories in here of courage and inspiration, and uh, we're not only going to get Jeffrey to share some stories from this book, but we're going to delve back into uh, one of his more comedic writings and get him to share some stories from that book as well. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno, joined for the hour by Jeffrey Gurian, dentist, 20-year-plus board-certified dentist. He is also a uh, comedian extraordinaire, very much a comic historian, and someone uh, not only who's uh, very much a part of the comic community, but very beloved by the comic community. He's a host, an author, a producer, a director, and uh, a longtime comedy writer. Uh, These days we're talking about his book, Facing Adversity, which chronicles some terrific stories 
of Courage and Inspiration. It's available wherever books are sold on Amazon or any a wide variety of other places. You could also check out Jeffrey's website, ComedyMattersTV.com. That's ComedyMattersTV.com. Uh, Jeffrey, you were kind enough to give me a copy of the book to look through. Can I keep this? Yeah. Can we, let's turn uh, Jeffrey's mic on if we can there, man. Yeah, absolutely. I want to get you on record as saying oh. I can keep this. Yes, of course you can keep it. Wonderful. Yeah. Great. Yeah, it would be my pleasure for you to have it. I'll sign it for you, too, when we're done. Are you um, are you producing any any upcoming comedy shows that our listeners should be uh, aware of? I just headlined the Broadway Comedy Club last Saturday, but it's too late for people to come. Right, I well. already did it, but I'll let you know when I do my I was doing. I was producing shows at the Cutting Room over the summer, but then when this whole Omicron thing came, I stopped doing them because I wasn't sure. It's very hard to get people to show up. You know, when you're laughing, they say, well, there, there are more germs are in the room, you know. I, I, so I, I people suppose. are freaking out. And it was just so I, I'm going to wait till the spring and then I'll, I'll start producing more shows again. Well, you'll have to keep us posted uh, on sure. that. Uh, 800-848-WABC. Peter is in Manhattan. Peter, you're on with Jeffrey Gurian. Yes, I've been a longtime fan of the old comedians. For example, one-liners, not vulgar, but funny. Then people like Stern and even what's the black fellow's name you mentioned that has the makes the millions of dollars? They always resort to the negative, low, lowest common denominator of mankind. Is it because these people have very limited experience? Like the old Jews used to be funny. Yeah, now I know. You know what? I had yeah. I had the honor of working with Milton Berle and Jerry I Lewis and things. people like that. From the golden age of comedy. Comedy was different in those days. First of all, there was no cable TV. If you wanted to do television, you had to be squeaky clean. They were clever. But with the advent of cable TV, when people could say anything, that, you know... So that's what changed it? Cable television? I I believe so, yeah, for sure. Because now you could say anything you wanted to on cable TV. And a lot of people, a lot of comics pander to an audience. Look, I'm guilty of it too. If I'm in a club... Uh, I don't talk about anything ugly, but I will drop the F-bomb at times uh, just because when it's an audience filled with guys with backwards baseball caps, you know, bros and all, they expect a certain type of humor. Mm. And um, I don't even like it when I do it. I, w- I was performing one night and Jerry Seinfeld was in the room. And every time I I said the F-word, I felt guilty because he always works clean, <laughs> and, and, you know, and... and I can. I can work squeaky clean, and I have plenty of material like that. But you have to kind of cater to what your audience wants, mm, mm. you know? Um, there are some people who don't have to. I mean, you know, if you're – I can't even think of a name. Well, if you're Seinfeld, like, I, I understand that he stopped doing colleges too because right. a lot of comics don't want to do colleges because of the woke atmosphere. People, are, again, are so offended by things. Uh, what year did you start doing comedy as a performer? About 15 years ago. Oh, really? Is that recent? Yeah, yeah. I started writing decades ago. I was writing for, you know, I was writing for Rodney in 1980. Mm-hmm. You know, we used to hang out at his club and he would do my jokes on The Tonight Show and stuff. And, and he was the first big star that I wrote for. But afterwards, you know, I got to, Milton Berle was my sponsor in the Friars Club. I date myself when I say that. <laughs> I, I think that's that's phenomenal. But it's a, big a honor. To fame. it's a big honor. Yeah. Do you remember the first joke that you wrote for Rodney Dangerfield? Um, yeah, I, I, I actually do. Uh, he said, you know, I'm all right now, but last week was rough. He said, I went into one of those custom bed shops. I said, what kind of bed would you recommend for a guy like me? He said, single. <laughs> <laughs> 
Rodney loved that joke, and it was such like a a, a one word punchline. You know, it's so it's so hard. It, it it took me about a year to learn how to craft a joke. You know, and I used to bring Rodney tons of jokes, and he'd say, "Yeah, Jeff, but they got to be funny." You know, <laughs> what was Rodney like uh, off air? We've heard so many stories about the myth of Rodney Dangerfield, and uh, I mean, he just seems like such a an interesting figure on so many different levels. What was your experience like with him? He was exactly the same. I mean, really? I went to his house uh, a couple of times, and he had a big pool table in the middle of his living room. And, you know, in the club, he'd walk around in uh, pajamas and a bathrobe, but not not not, uh, not fancy pajamas and a bathrobe, like old pajamas and a bathrobe, you know? And uh, let me... I, I was going to tell another joke that he said to me, but I don't think it would go well on the radio. But he was he was just a funny, funny guy, the same on and off. And, you know, his best friend was a guy named Joe Ansis, who was supposedly the funniest guy who never went on stage. Really? He supposedly was the inspiration for Lenny Bruce. You're kidding. They were both... They were both aluminum siding salesmen together. Rodney and Joe were best friends. They were together all the time. And Joe was like a hipster. He had a, an, a, such an unusual way of speaking. I can't even imitate it. But, yeah, if you look him up, Joe Ansis, he's in the book. Why do you think Rodney was not more successful as an aluminum siding salesman? Probably because he was too funny. You know, he dedicated his life to his kids, which is why he didn't start until later in life. He wasn't telling jokes, you know. His original name was Jacob Cohen. And then he became Jack Roy, and he wasn't making it as Jack Roy. And someone suggested to him the name Rodney Dangerfield, and he took that name, and it blew up. The same with Engelbert Humperdinck. What you was know? his real name? I didn't know that. Oh, I don't I'll remember his real up, name, actually. but Dick Capri opened for him for many years, and Dick Capri was the first comedian that I ever wrote for. Arnold he, Dorsey. Yeah, Arnold yeah. Dorsey. Who would right. listen to music from somebody named Arnold Dorsey? That's right, true. exactly. exactly. Engel, Engelbert Humperdinck. Uh, and, you know, it's funny. Uh, 800-848-WABC if you want to ch- chat with Jeffrey Gurian. Do you watch the show The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? Yes, sure. Uh, I, I didn't see the new season. I think it just came out. It but, did, but, yes. Yeah. I, I'm only up to, I think, the first or second episode. But uh, how real, obviously, you know, that was nineteen, late 50s, early 60s. But do you find that that's a realistic depiction, having known a lot of the people that came up in that era, Milton Berle and others? Do you find that's a realistic depiction of the comedy scene in New York at that time? Yeah, I do. Yeah. It fe- it feels real to me. I can, I feel nervous when I go on stage. You know, it's like only a person who's done it can know what that's like. It's the hardest thing to do. I mean, I'm sure brain surgery is harder, but you know, g- getting up on stage and trying to convince strangers that what you think is funny is funny. Is a very difficult thing to do. Now, to do brain surgery while telling jokes, well, that's, that's, that's got to be tough. That, that's got to be very tough. 800-848-9222. Jennifer's in Boston. Hello, Jennifer. Hi, Frank. Um, I just wanted to say first to you, thank you so much for having Jeffrey on. Every time you've had him on, I just adore him more than the time before. Thank you and, so much. Uh, I just think that um, Jeffrey is a very special kind of person. And... Um, I, I just feel grace to hear him. I really do. And I, I'm so glad you got through COVID. I'm sorry you had to go through it, but I'm sure you found the silver lining in it. And I, some of the stories you talked about tonight that are in your book, I look forward to getting the book. I'm familiar with them. But um, I'm glad that they touched you. I know when I heard the ones that you referenced tonight, um, they touched me too. And I think it's a great idea. 
And um, I hope the book will do well, and I hope you stay well. And thanks again, Frank. Uh, great program. Thank, Thank you, you, Jennifer. So, Thank you so much. Nice. That's very that's nice. That's so kind. Uh, that, no, and uh, that's high praise coming from Jennifer. She could be a tough critic, especially when it comes to me. Oh, yeah. So uh, that, that's very nice. Now, you are a big wig in the world of comedy. The interesting thing is I have no idea where the term big wig comes from. Where does the term big wig comes from? Okay. You strike me as a guy with uh, very large hair, which may or may not be real, as a, a good person to ask that of. Well, it's funny that you chose big wig. These expressions literally came from the 1700s in George Washington's time. And I'm going to read, a, 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 um, excuse me, I'm going to read a little bit of it for you. See, I said I don't stutter and I'm not getting the words out. Uh, as incredible as it may sound, Men and women in those days only took baths twice a year. Believe that. May and October. Whether I don't know they why they chose those. Whether they, needed, whether they needed it or not, right? And women kept their hair covered, but men would shave their heads because of lice, right? And they wore wigs. And wealthy men could afford good wigs made from wool, but they couldn't wash them. So to clean them, listen to what they did. They would carve out a loaf of bread, put the wig inside the shell of the oh, bread, my. And bake it for 30 minutes. And the heat would make the wig big and fluffy, hence the term big wig. Wow. And today we use the term big wig to talk about someone who was influential or powerful or wealthy. Big wig, but that's where it came from. Wow. Baking that, a wig inside of a bread. That is uh, wild. I, that surprised me. Now, uh, Sunday nights, our friend Joe Piscopo does the Ramsey Mazda Sundays with Sinatra show right here on WABC. He does a great job. And uh, it's basically a wall-to-wall tribute to Frank Sinatra, they, who they called the chairman of the board. Yep. They called Joe the vice chairman of the board. Now, I'd always assume that that title, chairman of the board, just came from the... I don't know, the role of being on an off, you know, in an office environment and you're the head guy uh, on the board of directors. Is there more to it than that? Yes, there's a lot more. Again, in the 1700s, many houses consisted of a large room with only one chair. Believe it. They would have one chair and they would have a board that folded down from the wall for people to sit on. And the head of the household usually sat in that chair. Everyone else sat on that board or on the floor. Uh, but occasionally there would be a guest. And if it was a man, he would be invited to sit in the chair during the meal. That was the honor that was bestowed upon him. And to sit in the chair meant that you were important and you were in charge. And they called the one sitting in the chair the chairman. And that's how it became wow. chairman. Jeez. Isn't that amazing? That, or that chairman of the board. Because they pulled down a board for people to sit on. What about the term, uh, like a term like straight-laced? Where does that come from? Straight-laced because ladies wore corsets. And they would lace up the front. And a proper and dignified woman wore, who wore a tightly laced corset would be called straight-laced. And wait till you hear about... Have you ever heard someone say, mind your own beeswax? Far too many times than I care to have heard it, yes. Well, I always thought beeswax was a funny way of saying mind your own business. Right, that's what business, I would Beeswax. Yeah. Listen to this, okay? In those days, personal hygiene left a lot, <laughs> left a lot of room for improvement. So as a result, many women and men had acne scars, and the women would spread beeswax over their facial skin to smooth out their complexion. And when they were speaking to each other, if a woman began to stare at another woman's face, they told them, mind your own beeswax. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And then should the woman smile, the wax would crack. And that's where it came from, to crack a smile. Oh, that is very funny. And not only that... 
if they sat too close to the fire, the wax would melt. And that's where they came up with the expression, losing face. Uh, yeah, Isn't that amazing? That is what I'm going to ask you about one more. Uh, you know, we spent we were talking earlier about the gentleman who has uh, no limbs, and I'm guessing that's because he'd overpaid for something, and uh, something had cost him an arm and a leg. <laughs> where, where does that expression come from? Again, in George Washington's days, if you look at pictures of George Washington, some of them you'll see him like he's standing behind a desk with one arm behind his back. Another will show both his legs and his arms. In those days, painters were not uh, paid by how many people they painted, by how many limbs were to be painted. Oh, why? So arms and legs are considered limbs, so painting them would cost the buyer more. So hence the expression, it'll cost you an arm and a leg. They <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That <laughs> I love if they, it. If they love have, it. Because it's hard to paint hands. Arms and legs are harder to paint. So if they wanted to cost less, they would hide. They'd put one arm behind them. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. It'll cost you an arm and a leg. Yeah. Jeffrey Gurian is here. Uh, check out his book, Facing Adversity, Stories of Courage and Inspiration. Uh, we're going to continue with uh, Jeffrey in just a couple of minutes. If you want to comment uh, on anything we're talking about, you can give us a call, 800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. Darling, you sent me, I know you sent me, darling, you sent me, honest you do, honest you do, honest you do. That is the great Sam Cooke. You're never going to believe what Sam Cooke's real name was. I'm going to blow your mind with this. Are you ready? Sam Cooke's real name was, I just looked this up. This is true. Samuel Cooke. I mean, what are the chances of that? <laughs> Who would ever believe that? Exactly. The king of soul. Samuel Cooke. Who knew? Amazing. Jeffrey Gurian is here. He's the author of the book uh, Facing Adversity. There's some great stories in this book of people overcoming obstacles in their own life to do some incredible things, including there's a story in here, Jeffrey, about uh, disabled actors in an off-Broadway play. Uh, This is actually a story from just a few years ago, from 2017. What was the story? The story was that, um, and and again, it's not one of the stories that I summarized to talk about, so I'm going to try and do it from memory, but it was was a story about... uh, uh, an actress who became disabled and created a, a theater troupe for disabled actors and put on a uh, a play with all disabled actors. And they were so amazing that people didn't know that they actually had disabilities until the end of the show. Um, it's just just really incredible what this woman was able to do. It, that is incredible, absolutely. It, one, one, I just want to say that... The book just came out, and it's already got almost 55-star reviews. You're kidding. It came out right away. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So and people check out the book on uh, Amazon if you want to help other people discover it. A great way to do that is to uh, give a five-star review on Amazon.com and uh, make your comments be heard. That'll help other people And I made the, the price very special for your listeners. For the next few days, it'll only be three ninety nine to download the book. Is that true? Your, really? Yeah, yeah. I'm wow, keeping very it very nice. low to, so that it's affordable for everybody. Because I, I really want to bring inspiration to people who need some hope. That's great. And uh, if you read this book. That's you know, the ebook version of it, right? The, yeah, the ebook version. Now, of do it. you need an e reader uh, to, ha- to read an ebook, or can you read it on a regular computer or something? 
Uh, supposedly, you can get it on a regular computer okay, as well. Not everybody has a Kindle, but it's available as a paperback also for people who want it. And I, I made that lower as well. A uh, big shout out to, to my friend Nick Barbaro, who gave me a Kindle, which I gave to my wife, and she makes a great use of that Kindle. She uses it uh, a great deal. He keeps trying to win me over to the cause of using a Kindle, but I still prefer the the paper books. Where are you on Kindle versus paper I need books? paper. You, I, yeah. I'm old school. I like to have a, a physical book. It makes me feel better. I have a bunch of stuff on my Kindle. My kids bought me a Kindle as a present, and uh, I use it. But I really prefer a paperback. Uh, last time you were here, we spoke a little bit about one of your previous books, Man Robs Bank with His Chin. For people that didn't hear our previous discussion, remind people what that was about. That was Look, I've been collecting stories for many years. I created GNN, Gurian News Network, which our logo is all the news that's fit to dance to. <laughs> and uh, uh, I used to write for the Weekly World News, which was the precursor to The Onion. So I have stories like, you know, man paints replica of the Sistine Chapel with his beard. <laughs> now, you know how hard that is, Frank? Beard painting, you hardly see beard painting anymore. And, it's a you lost know, art. Well, because even in Brooklyn, everyone has a beard, but they have the short beards. You <laughs> right, can't right. paint. You, can't, you need a long pointed beard to paint and very strong neck muscles. Um, man killed for giving girlfriend a snail instead of an engagement ring. Because you can't, you know, she was waiting for years to become engaged. And he, show, and he invites her out to this beautiful restaurant, and she thinks tonight's the night he's going to pop the question. And he read somewhere that in the Fiji Islands, when a man wants to impress a woman, he gives her a tiny snail. So he tried that. He gave her the snail. She was so enraged, she killed the snail and then killed him. Oh, my goodness. A very sad story. My goodness. Very sad story. Uh, elderly man tours Europe on pogo stick. Now, that is not an easy thing to do. 87-year-old Armin Karugian, wearing a tuxedo, by the way, because he says that not enough athletes dress well during their sport. He, the least they could do, he said, is wear a sport jacket. That's where the name comes from, a sport jacket. You're supposed to most, – you know, most athletes don't dress well. They this wear sneakers. True. You never see athletes in a tuxedo. So man in Georgia arrested for having a high fever. The fever was so high that he began hallucinating. And when it hit 106, cops broke in and charged him with having an illegal fever. And they took him away. The man was too sick to comment. Right? Here's, here's one that, that I love. Man impaled on Spike still shows up for work on time. Wow. See, now, that's impressive. A very dedicated. Herb no. Stemp was his name. is an artichoke stuffer. 30 years, had never been late once. Accidentally impaled himself on a Spike. And when they separated the spike, instead of going to the hospital, he, he felt it wasn't that uncomfortable. I've always said that the artichoke stuffers are the, the unsung heroes of the food, the culinary community. Well, he decided to wait for his day off. He said his main, his main uh, complaint was that his jacket didn't fit right anymore <laughs> because it's hard to fit a jacket over a spike. It's a very similar story to the man who developed a fully grown turtle shell. Uh, it's developed it on his own naturally. Well, it started on his back as a, just a small bump, but over the next few months, he, he you know he couldn't really see it. It developed into a full turtle shell, and his wife said, you know, he's always been he's always been kind of shy, but now she literally has to coax him out of his shell. <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, I'd be curious to see that wife. If that uh, snail killer ever gets out of jail, the two of them, uh, what a pair they'd make. <laughs> Canadian repairman wakes up with French accent. Now, this is an unusual story. 
Toaster repairman Herb Trert's wife says they've never done any traveling. So one morning when he woke up, he started addressing her as Mon Cherie in a heavy French accent. She was really shocked. Then he starts wearing a beret, grew a thin mustache, and begins using a walking stick. <laughs> he says he's becoming French against his will. He's even started disliking Americans. <laughs> and he claims it came from getting a shock from one of the toasters. Very unusual story, I, I right? mean, you talk about bizarre. That, that, is, uh, that is wild. So it, this is a whole book. So I compiled a book called Man Robs Bank with His Chin, which is another one of the stories, for people who like unusual stories. The, the story about me is that I stay up all night researching these stories. I find the most unusual stories missed by mainstream media. Yeah, no, I mean, that's it's the great. key. It's great that you're out there being an alternative to the news that uh, that is missing a lot of these stories. Well, yeah, if know. it wasn't for me, people would know about these uh, things. Especially now that there's no more Weekly World News, right? Exactly. So yeah. it's, I think it's only online now, but it's GNN. Gurian News Network, all the news that's fit to dance to. <laughs> Can folks get that through your website? On my website, right. right if they again, go to the ComedyMattersTV.com, there's a whole section on GNN. ComedyMattersTV.com, 800-848-WABC. Jeffrey Gurian is here. He's the author of the book Facing Adversity. Mike is in Brooklyn. Hello, Mike. Hey, good morning, Frank. How you doing, Jeffrey? I'm doing good. Um, Good, good. I got a question for you with the, the overcoming diversity. Is there anything in the book with uh, uh, people coming over eye problems? Because I have RP, retinitis pigmentosa, and it's stealing my eyesight completely away, and there's nothing they can do about it. I'm completely blind in one eye right now, and the other one is following suit. I do have anything? a story on that, and I'm wondering, you know, there are so many stories in the book that I don't have every story at my fingertips, but... There is a story about a person who lost their sight and went on to do unbelievable things. Um, I, I actually, yeah, he's, it's the last story in the book. Yeah, Out of um, Sight. It's called Out of Sight. And, and um, as, I was, as I was writing the end of the book, I came across this story and I needed to include it. Because f first, you know, I talk about Stevie Wonder, which was always amazing to me that he had such a huge career. But there was an actor recently, who lost his sight, and he's been doing action films as a sightless person. And he said he wants to do things that no one who is sightless has ever done before. He's an actor, and when, you know, he, uh, after he performs, people come over to him and they said, are you really sightless? Because they couldn't believe it, because what he does is so accurate, and he's worked so hard on it. He had sight. It wasn't like he was born sightless. He had sight, and then he lost it due to some illness that he had. I don't remember right. what it was called. It's in the book. If you if you get the book, it's on page 151, and it's out of sight. Okay. Uh, the other question is, is it on tape? Do you have that book on tape? No, no, it's not an audio book. Yeah, that's mm. true. If you have a hard time reading it, then it's silly. Yeah, it's a minor technicality. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's but, true. Yeah, yeah, a minor technicality. But you know what? It just came out, and I will probably do an audio book. There you go. I think you should. You know, we have a lot of listeners I will. who are visually impaired. I think a, folks would enjoy that. A lot of people like audio books these days. Mike, My first book was audio. Mike, thanks. Yes. Best of luck. Appreciate you listening, and uh, good luck with your your your, your issues, and uh, please keep us posted, yes, okay? Yes, thank you so yeah, much. I still mow my own lawn. That's great. That's wonderful.
That's great. I'll put, out, I'll put out the old Clorox bottles and bump into them. Mike, <laughs> if you can <laughs> no, see, see you true. have a good sense that's of right. humor, and that's, that's what gets a million, Next million. Thank and Mike, if you much. can get a ride uh, to uh, to Staten Island, I'd love for you to mow my lawn as well. It might make you feel a little bit more, you know, uh, like you're you're not dealing with visual issues. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Marks in Rahway. Hello, Mark. Oh, hello there, um, my God! I can't believe it got on Jeffrey. I love you. You have. I've been in sales for 35 years, and you have an g- amazing ability to communicate, first of all. My question is... Thank you. Thank you. Uh, what, what, you're welcome. One of my favorite movies, and I want to see if you agree, The Sunshine Boys, Walter Matthau and George Burns. I, do you believe it's one of the funniest scripts in acting? And secondly, the, the funny thing about that was they talked about an, an, a retired actor's home in New Jersey. Was there such a thing? <laughs> A retired actor? I know that there are retired actors' homes. I don't know if there was one in New Jersey. And yes, it was a very funny movie. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you have good taste in comedy. Oh, I like you. You're, you're fantastic. I love you. Thank, thank you. So thank much. you so much. That's very call. kind Thanks, of you. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. 800-848-WABC. Although, actually, I'm not sure how many more calls we'll be able to get to in the next couple of minutes. But if you want to try and squeeze one in, we'll try. I'll come back soon. Yes, you must. Absolutely. So what else are you up to these days? Are you waiting till the spring to start performing and producing shows again? You're promoting this book, which now, you know, our visually impaired listeners are urging you to record an audio version of that as well. It takes so much time. Oh, I know. I'm working on this every day. You know, it's uh, people have no idea. You know, my first it's my eighth book. My first five books were published by publishers who literally do nothing to help you promote the book. It's amazing. People would think that if you have a publisher, a well-known publisher, they'll go out of their way to do it. Everything I get, I had to do on my own. So I started publishing the books on my own. And it's a real, very, very hard process. I can imagine. Running How's ads. that worked out? You know what? I have to show you something. Mm-hmm. I brought this. We talk about censorship. Tell me, tell me what offends you about this ad. This ad was was turned down, uh, rejected. Okay, it's for f- facing adversity, and the ad reads: "Facing challenges, life ever seemed unfair. True stories of people who have overcome unbelievable obstacles will offer much needed inspiration." Are you offended? Not in the least. Okay. Well, so what are they saying? It was rejected. It it doesn't fall within community guidelines. You're, you're not you're not allowed to speak. To people's personal condition, so I so I wrote to them. I said, "How can you write?" So who a- rejected this? Amazon. Amazon rejected. Amazon. So I said, "How can oh. you write a self help book without telling people how it can help them?" It makes no sense. It, it makes zero sense. And and, he, and here's the second one that got rejected again: facing challenges, feeling overwhelmed, and lacking inspiration. True stories of people who have overcome unbelievable obstacles will do the trick. Are you offended? Not in the least. No. Okay. But that was rejected. You know, this is the thing with Amazon is they do stuff like this all the time that drives me crazy. I've heard all sorts of stories like this. But if you're if you've written a book and you you don't have it listed on Amazon, it's like you don't exist. So that's the problem with monopolies like Amazon. It's very frustrating. And and, and it's that same thing of people being offended over nothing. There's nothing in here. It's crazy. Uh, well, uh, send send the cynics and the critics a message. Go to ComedyMattersTV.com. You could uh, learn all about Jeffrey Gurian and check out this latest book, Facing Adversity, Stories of Courage and Inspiration. It's available as an ebook. Three ninety nine for the next few days, at least for our listeners. Jeffrey, it's always a treat to talk to you. It's always very special to be here, Frank. Thank, Thank, you. Thank you so much for having me.